The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Okay, Psalm 69. To the chief musician set to the lilies, a psalm of David. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. They are mighty who would destroy me. Being my enemies wrongfully, though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. O oh God, you know my foolishness, and my sins are not hidden from you. Let not those who wait for you, O oh Lord God of hosts, be ashamed because of me. Let not those who seek you be confounded because of me, O oh God of Israel. Because for your sake I have borne reproach. Shame has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children. Because zeal for your house has eaten me up and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that became my reproach. I also made sackcloth my garment. I became a byword to them. Those who sit in the gate speak against me, and I am the song of the drunkards. But as for me, my prayer is to you. O Lord, in the acceptable time, O God, in the multitude of your mercy, Hear me in the truth of your salvation. Deliver me out of the mire and let me not sink. Let me be delivered from those who hate me and out of the deep waters. Let not the flood water overflow me, nor let the deep swallow me up. And let not the pit shut its mouth on me. Hear me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. Turn to me according to the multitude of your tender mercies. And do not hide your face from your servant, for I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. Draw near to my soul and redeem it. Deliver me because of my enemies. You know my reproach, my shame, and my dishonor. My adversaries are all before you. Reproach has broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They also gave me gall for my food. And for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Let their table become a snare before them, and their well-being a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see, and make their loins shake continually. Pour out your indignation upon them, and let your wrathful anger take hold of them. Let their dwelling place be desolate. Let no one live in their tents, for they persecute the ones you have struck, and talk of the grief of those you have wounded. Add iniquity to their iniquity, and let them not come into your righteousness. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living, and not be written with the righteous. But I am poor and sorrowful. Let your salvation, O God, set me up on high. I will praise the name of God with a song, and will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or a bull, which has horns and hooves. The humble shall see this, and be glad. And you who seek God, your hearts shall live. For the Lord hears the poor and does not despise his prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build the cities of Judah, that they may dwell there and possess it. Also, the descendants of his servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. Okay, today we're in Joshua 18, it's verses 11 through 28. This is the inheritance of Benjamin. This is a little longer than most of the inheritances, and I only really analyze about half of it. But what I want you to know is that this sermon, and then the next one, and then the one that will come after the Resurrection Day sermon, because we're going to stop Joshua for one week, but those three actually kind of flow together. Three inheritances are leading into a picture of what God is doing. It's rather astonishing. But for right now, this is Joshua 18, 11 through 28. 
Now the lot of the tribe of the children of Benjamin came up according to their families and the territory of their lot came out between the children of Judah and the children of Joseph. Their border on the north side began at the Jordan and the border went up to the side of Jericho on the north and went up through the mountains westward. It ended at the wilderness of Beth Aven. The border went over from there toward Lutz to the side of Lutz, which is Bethel, southward. And the border descended to Atarot Adar, near the hill that lies on the south side of Lower Beit Horon. Then the border extended around the west side to the south from the hill that lies before Beit Horon, southward. And it ended at Kiriath Baal, which is Kiriath Jerim, a city of the children of Judah. This was on the west side. The south side began at the end of Kiriath-Jerim, and the border extended on the west and went out to the spring of the waters of Nephtoah. Then the border came down to the end of the mountain that lies before the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is in the valley of the Rephaim, on the north, descended to the valley of Hinnom to the side of the Jebusite city on the south, and descended to En-Rogel. And it went around from the north, went out to En-Shemesh, and extended toward Gelilot, which is before the ascent of Adumim, and descended to the stone of Bohan, the son of Reuben. Then it passed along toward the north side of Aravah and went down to Aravah. And the border passed along to the north side of Beit Hoglah. Then the border ended at the north bay at the Salt Sea, at the south end of the Jordan. This was the southern boundary. The Jordan was its border on the east side, this was the inheritance of the children of Benjamin according to its boundaries all around, according to their families. Now, the cities of the tribe of the children of Benjamin according to their families were Jericho, Beit Hoglah, Emekeziz, Beit Aravah, Zemaraim, Bethel, Avim, Para, Ophra, Hefer, Ha'amoni, Ophni, and Gaba, twelve cities with their villages. Gibeon, Rama, Be'erot, Mizpah, Hefirah, Moza, Rechem, Erpiel, Taralah, Zela, Eleph, Jebus, which is Jerusalem, Gibeot, and Kiriot, 14 cities with their villages. This was the inheritance of the children of Benjamin, according to their families. The tribes that have received their inheritance west of the Jordan so far are located either south of Jerusalem, meaning the land of Judah with Jerusalem as its northern border, or land given to Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, whose southern border is somewhat farther north. This leaves an area of land not yet granted to the tribes of Israel between them. It then goes from the Jordan to the Mediterranean Sea. It is implied that this land will be granted based on the lots. However, not all of it will go to one tribe. Rather, it will be divided into two separate parcels. The first half of this land will be allotted in the verses today to Benjamin. There's a lot of history that will come out of this tribe as the pages of scripture unfold. Their location pretty much ensured that this would be the case. The story of the life of Benjamin, Jacob's 12th and final son, began in Genesis chapter 35. Here's what it says. Then they journeyed from Bethel, and when there was but little distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had hard labor. Now it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said to her, Do not fear, you will also have this son. And so it was, as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Ben-Oni, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. Those few verses that I just read are filled with hints of the coming Christ. As is seen in them, Benjamin's mother, Jacob's beloved Rachel, died in childbirth. As she was dying, she named him Ben-Oni, son of suffering. However, Jacob called him Benjamin, son of the right hand. Our text verse comes from Luke 24. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. For those who are paying attention, it is obvious that Jesus is revealed in the words of Genesis 35. 
The story of the birth of Benjamin anticipated the state of Christ's coming, first to suffer and then to enter his glory. Luke's gospel records that beginning with Moses, Jesus explained how all of the Old Testament prophesied of him. For all we know, he could have started with that very passage. I just told you that the Christ was to suffer and then enter into his glory. See, it is written of me right in the story of the birth of Benjamin. It's just speculation, but Jesus could have started with any of an innumerable number of verses and told what was coming. Maybe along the way as they walked, he could have continued with Benjamin. Do you know that the very borders of the tribes of Benjamin tell the story of my coming? Just look at the borders of Benjamin. From there, he could explain what you will review today. God has woven the story of Jesus Christ so intricately into his word that without studying the word from that lens, almost everything of value is missing. There are great moral and historical truths that can be pulled out of the word, but even those things would be unnecessary apart from the coming of Christ. Ultimately, it makes no difference where Benjamin is situated if Jesus never came. Likewise, any moral lesson in scripture is actually pointless without Jesus. We can be as moral or as godless in our living as we want, and it makes no ultimate difference without Jesus. If our final end is to return to the grave and to perish, then let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we must die. Without Jesus, we might as well use up our lives in the most hedonistic and self-serving way possible. But we don't even need to think that way, do we? Christ came, and he showed us a far more glorious and eternal path to walk. In learning about the borders of Benjamin, we will learn about the person of Jesus Christ and what he means to us. Get ready. Great things are to be found in his superior word. And so let us turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I have three thoughts for you today. The first is the borders of Benjamin. It's verses 11 through 20. With the instructions of Joshua 18, 1 through 10, to survey and divide the remaining land among the final seven tribes complete, those verses ended with, Then Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord, and there Joshua divided the land to the children of Israel according to their divisions. From that point, the narrative continues with the designation of the first lot. Verse 11, Now the lot of the tribe of the children of Benjamin came up according to their families. Benjamin was the twelfth son of Jacob and the second son born to his beloved Rachel. As for the wording here, it has not been seen before. Vaya'al goral mate bene binyamin. And ascended lot, tribe, sons, Benjamin. In the casting of the lots for land division, the word Allah, or to ascend, is only used now and with the tribe of Zebulun, which is in Joshua 19, verse 10. Elsewhere, it says the lot was, or the word yatsa, to go or come forth, is used. Here's how it's broken down. Judah, there was. Manasseh East, there was. Manasseh West, there was. Benjamin arose. Zebulun arose. Sons of Joseph came out. Simeon came out. Issachar came out. Asher came out. Naphtali came out. Dan came out. There's no indication why Allah or ascended is used. It would be logical that both names are typologically anticipating Christ. Benjamin means son of the right hand, and Zebulun means glorious dwelling place. As Jesus is the son who ascended to the right hand of God, Mark 16, 19, which is his glorious dwelling place, Revelation 21, verse 3, the use of Allah anticipates the ascension of Jesus. As for the ascending of Benjamin's lot, verse 11 continues, and the territory of their lot came out between the children of Judah and the children of Joseph. The words closely follow the Hebrew with one exception. It is more precise, saying that the lot is between the children of Judah and between the children of Joseph. The placement of Benjamin between these already established allotments is both logical and it fulfills previous prophecy. It is logical because it places Benjamin next to his brother Joseph, the other son of Rachel. 
the allotments to Ephraim and Manasseh, the sons of Joseph. And next to Judah, who had offered himself as a substitute for Benjamin before Pharaoh back in Genesis 44. The closeness of the bonds is highlighted by the placement of him here now. It also fulfills prophecy as spoken in Moses' blessing from Deuteronomy 33. Of Benjamin, he said, The beloved of the Lord shall dwell in safety by him. He's dwelling in safety by him? Well, the temple eventually ends up where? In Jerusalem. And he's dwelling in Jerusalem. Benjamin is a part of Jerusalem, on the border of Benjamin and Jerusalem. So it fulfills that prophecy. And he shall dwell between his shoulders. That is fulfilled in this as well. Though too long to repeat, the explanation of the words in Deuteronomy 33 is exactingly fulfilled by the placement of Joseph here. Take time to rewatch that sermon today. As for the details, because of his placement here, the main borders on the south and on the north have already been marked out for Judah and Ephraim. And so much of this will be repetition. Verse 12, their border on the north side began at the Jordan, and the border went up to the side of Jericho on the north. Benjamin's northern border is the southern border of Ephraim. More precisely, it begins on the side northward from the Jordan, meaning the descender, and ascends to the shoulder of Jericho, the place of fragrance from the north. Verse 12 continues, and went up through the mountains westward, Ve'alah, Bahar, Yamah, and ascends in the mountain westward. The mountain means the hill country. From there, verse 12 continues, it ended at the wilderness of Bet-Aven, and his goings out, wilderness, Beth-Aven. Beth-Aven was noted as a city nearby, but distinct from Bethel in Joshua 7, verse 2. Beth means house. Aven comes from Aven, meaning wickedness, trouble, vanity, meaning idols which are vain, iniquity, and so on. And so it means something like house of wickedness. Verse 13, the border went over from there toward Lutz, to the side of Lutz, which is Bethel, southward. More exactly, it reads, and passed over from there, the border, Lutzward, unto shoulder, Lutzward, southward. It, Bethel. Lutz was seen in verse 16 too. It is a city near to, but separate from Bethel. It means almond, but it comes from the verb Lutz, meaning to turn aside, often in a negative way. Hence, it can mean departure, but it also means twisted or perverse. Bethel means house of God. Elsewhere in the Bible, either Lutz or Bet-Aven is united explicitly or in thought with Bethel as being one city, but they are technically three separate cities that are being referred to here. Verse 13 continues, and the border descended to Atrot Adar, near the hill that lies on the south side of lower Bet-Horon. The second clause more precisely reads, upon the hill which is from the south to lower Bet-Horon. Atarotadar means crowns of greatness or majestic crowns. Lower Beit Horon means lower house of the hollow or lower house of freedom. Verse 14, then the border extended around the west side to the south from the hill that lies before Beit Horon southward. The word yam can mean both south and west. The King James Version and some other versions say sea instead of west here. That is incorrect. The land of Benjamin does not reach to the Mediterranean Sea. The New King James Version does a good job of this verse. Next, verse 14 continues. And it ended at Kiriat Baal, which is Kiriat Yerim, a city of the children of Judah. This was the west side. More precisely, and its goings out unto Kiriat Baal. Kiriat Baal means city of Baal or city of the Lord. Kiriaturim means city of forests or city of honeycombs. It is noted as belonging to Judah, thus marking the southwest corner of Benjamin. Verse 15, the south side began at the end of Kiriaturim. Rather, it reads, and the side southward is from Kiriaturim. This explains the southern border, which is Judah's northern border. Verse 15 continues, and the border extended on the west and went out to the springs of the waters of Neftoah. Rather than on the west, it reads westward. 
The border travels in that direction all the way to the fountain called Neftoah. Neftoah or Neftoach means opening. From there, verse 16, the border came down to the end of the mountain that lies before the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is in the valley of the Rephaim on the north, descended to the valley of Hinnom. Two words are translated as valley here. The first is the valley of the son of Hinnom. The word valley is ge, coming from the word gava, meaning pride or confidence. That comes from ga'a, to rise up or increase or so on. The original meaning of Hinnom is pretty much lost. Those who attempt to translate it associate it with wailing. Hence, this could be paraphrased as the exaltation of the son of groaning. The name in the New Testament becomes the well-known Gehenna. It is a valley that runs along the border of Jerusalem. The second valley is Emek Rephaim, or depth of the Rephaim. Rephaim comes from either Rapha, to sink or relax, or from Rapha, to heal. Strong's goes with the latter. Thus, it would be the depth of the healed ones. The border then goes, verse 16 continues, to the side of the Jebusite city on the south and descended to Enrogel. El-Ketef Haivusi Negva Veyarad Enrogel. Unto shoulder the Jebusite southward and descended Enrogel. Jebusite means treading down or trodden underfoot. Jerusalem can have various meanings, but foundation of peace is sufficient. And rogel could have a couple of meanings. Rogel comes from the word regel, meaning foot, or ragel, to go about on foot. As such, it could mean fountain, the eye of the fuller, because the foot is used for washing garments by stamping on them, or fountain of the traveler. Verse, if you haven't been to Malaysia or India, you probably don't understand that, but people to this day still wash their garments by stamping on them, okay? The reason why I say that, it's funny. Jody kept correcting my writing here. She kept saying, walking, walking, not washing. And finally, I sent her a message and I said, washing, you are stamping with your feet to wash it. And she says, I didn't know that. And she lived in Malaysia. So obviously it's become less primitive than when I lived there. Anyway, verse 17, and it went around from the north, went out to En Shemesh. Veta'ar mitzafon veyatsa En Shemesh. And extended from north and went out En Shemesh. And Shemesh means fountain, eye of the sun. The reason why is fountain and eye are the same word in the Hebrew. It is identified today as the Apostle Spring, which is about a mile below Bethany and is the only spring on the road to Jericho. Verse 17 continues and extended toward Gelilot, rather, and went out unto Gelilot. The word Gelilot is the plural of Gelila. That signifies a circuit, boundary, territory, and so on. That comes from galal, meaning to roll. Hence, if it is an actual name, it means circles or rollings. However, it may simply be referring to the same region which is later described in Joshua chapter 22. Here's what it says there. And they came unto the districts, Gelilot of the Jordan, which are in the land of Canaan, and the sons of Reuben, and the sons of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, built there an altar by the Jordan, a great altar for appearance. And the sons of Israel hear, saying, Lo, the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built the altar over against the land of Canaan on the districts, Galilot, of the Jordan, at the passage of the sons of Israel. Verse 17 continues, Which is before the ascent of Adumim and descended to the stone of Bohan, the son of Reuben. Adumim is a plural word coming from Adom, red, and Adam, meaning Adam or man. Thus, it is the ascent of the red ones or ascent of the Adams, meaning men, the ascent of the men. Bohan is identical to Bohen, the thumb or the big toe. It was probably a thick, prominent stone that was used as a landmark and named after a son of Reuben. Maybe he was buried there or did some heroic thing there. Strong's defines the meaning as closing. Verse 18, then it passed along toward the north side of Arava and went down to Arava. Ve'avar el-ketef mul ha-arava tzafona ve'yarad ha-aravata and passed over unto shoulder against the Arava northward and descended the Arava. 
the Arava is the plain that extends about 100 miles south from the Dead Sea, forming a border between Israel and Jordan. The word comes from the noun Arav, to grow dark or become evening. This is because of the darkness of the terrain. However, that is identical, as you have heard in sermon after sermon, to the verb arav, meaning to take or give in pledge. Verse 19, and the border passed along to the north side of Beit Hogla. Beit Hagla means house of the partridge, but it also means house of turning in joy. Think of a partridge, how they move around. The word comes from hagal, to wobble or to hop. It is the same name as one of the daughters of Zelophehad. This is between the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, but belonging to Benjamin. It lies between Jericho and the Dead Sea. Verse 19 continues, Then the border ended at the North Bay at the Salt Sea, at the south end of the Jordan. This was the southern boundary. A literal rendering of this is, And the border, unto tongue see the salt northward, unto extremity the Jordan southward. This border south. The meaning is that this southern border goes to the spot where the Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea. From there, verse 20, the Jordan was its border on the east side. The word border is a verb. And the Jordan bordering him to side eastward. The descender is that which borders Benjamin on the east. The word east is kedem also meaning aforetime. It speaks of that which comes before, earlier, or into the past, even as far as everlasting. Like when it says in uh, Micah 5, I think it is, where it says Jesus is his, uh, or origins are from everlasting. It is that word, kedem. So kedem means east and everlasting. Verse 20 continues, this was the inheritance of the children of Benjamin according to its boundaries all around, according to their families. Literally, it says, this inheritance sons Benjamin to her borders around to their families. The inheritance is set within these borders, and the names have a story to tell. These are the borders of the son of my right hand, and together they have a story to tell us. It is a story that is glorious, beautiful, and grand. It is the story of our Lord Jesus. Every detail gives us hints of what he has done or of how it is realized in each of us. The marvelous details concerning God's own son, glorious pictures of our Lord Jesus. God has set forth these things, allowing us to see the beautiful things that Christ has done for us. The truths are found in the gospel that he offers for free. It is the precious gift of God, the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Our second thought today is the cities of Benjamin. It's verses 21 through 28. Verse 21, now the cities of the tribe of the children of Benjamin, according to their families, were, it literally reads, and were the cities to tribe sons Benjamin to their families. Verse 21 continues, Jericho, Beit Hogla, Emek Keziz. Yericho, Beit Hogla, Emek Ketziz. Jericho and Beth Hogla and Emek Keziz. Yericho means place of fragrance, Beit Hagla, house of the partridge or house of turning in joy, Emeketsiz, severed depth or cut off valley. Verse 22, Beit Arava, Zemaraim, Betel, U Beit Ha Arava, U Zemaraim, U Beit El, and Beth Arava, and Zemaraim, and Bethel. Beit Ha-Arava means house of the pledge. Tzemaraim, two woolen things. Be'el, house of God. Verse 23, Avim, Para, Ofra. Veha Avim, Veha Para, Ve'afera. And the Avim, and the Para, and Ofra. Ha'avim means the ruiners, the ruined dwellers, or the mischief makers. Ha-para, the heifer. But that comes from the verb parar, meaning to break or frustrate. So it could mean the breaker. Afara, female fawn, but that comes from afar, meaning dust, and so maybe of the dust. Verse 24, ha-amoni, ofni, and gaba, 12 cities with their villages. Ve-chafar ha-amoni, ve-ha-afni, ve-gaba, shetem esrei, ve 
and Hafar the Ammoni, and the Ofni, and Gaba, ten two and their villages. Hafar Ha Ammoni means village of the people or village of the Ammonites. It does not mean village people. Ofni comes from an unused root, and its meaning is unknown. Gaba is probably the same as Gibeah or Hill. Verse 25, Gibeon Ramah Be'erot. Givon Haramah Ube'erot. Gibeon and the Ramah and Be'erot. Givon means hilly town or hilly. Haramah, the height, the lofty place. And Be'erot means wells. Verse 26, Mizpah, Heferah, Moza. Veha Mitzpah, Veha Heferah, Veha Mozah. And the Mizpah, and the Heferah, and the Mozah. Hamitzpah means the watchtower. Ha Heferah, the village. Hamotzah, depending on the root, the drained, the unleavened bread, the law, or the place of going forth. Verse 27 Rechem, Erpeel, Taralah. Ve Rechem, Ve Yerpeel, Ve Taralah. And Rechem, and Erpeel, and Taralah. Rechem means embroiderer. Yerpeel, God will heal. Taralah, dove of God or reeling. Verse 28, Zelah Elef Jebus, which is Jerusalem, Gibeah and Kiriath, 14 cities with their villages. Zelah Ha'elef Vehaibusi, he, Yerushalayim, Givat Kiriat Arim, Arva Esre Vehatsrehen. Zelah the Elef and the Jebusi, it, Jerusalem, Gibeah, Kiriat, cities, four and ten, and their villages. Selah means rib or side. Ha'elef, the cattle or the multitude. Haibusi, the treading down or the trodden underfoot. Yerushalayim means foundation of peace and Giv'at, hill. And finally, Kiryat means city. Verse 28 finishes with, this was the inheritance of the children of Benjamin according to their families. Benjamin's borders have been defined and their cities have been named. They will be rather prominently mentioned in the coming pages of Scripture. The first king of Israel, Saul, will be from this tribe. The great apostle to the Gentiles, Paul, will come from Benjamin as well. There will be other heroes mentioned from this tribe, and a great self-inflicted calamity will come upon them in the book of Kings. The history of Benjamin will be rich and filled with hints of the workings of God in Christ. Hints of the majesty of God in Christ are hidden in the names and places for us to see. Riches beyond measure that cannot be priced, and yet they must be earned by searching the word diligently. How wonderful it is to search out this word, looking for hints of what God has done for us. Think on the names of places that you have heard. In them are hints of the coming Christ, our Lord Jesus. Thank you, O oh God, for the treasures we can see when searching out this precious word. Wonderful riches and treasure there will be when we consider each verse we have heard. Our third thought today is pictures of Christ. The borders of Benjamin, even if some are unstated at this point in the narrative, are the Jordan on the east, Dan on the west, Judah to the south, and Joseph, meaning Ephraim, is on the north. Benjamin, or son of the right hand, anticipates Christ as the resurrected and ascended son of God. The Jordan, the descender to the east, signifying before in time, looks to Christ having first descended in order to accomplish his work. For those who have never heard this before, everything about the Jordan River, from the mountain it starts at all the way down to the Dead Sea, and everything about it all the way down pictures Jesus Christ. Where did it start? Mount Hermon, sacred, heaven. It's a mountain with three peaks, all of the same height. The Trinity coming down. Ha Yarden, the descender. Jesus says, I have descended, using the same terminology. He comes down. He goes through the area of Dan first. Judge. He's come to judge the earth. He goes down, continuing to the Galilee, where he did most of his ministry. So the water stops in the Sea of Galilee, where Christ performed all of his ministry, or most of it, much of it. And then from there, it zigzags all the way through Israel, picturing Christ going through all of Israel to minister to the people. And it ends at the Salt Sea, the Dead Sea. And what is that? A picture of Christ's death, his 
covenant faithfulness because salt is covenant faithfulness and incorruption. He was incorruptible in his death. And what happens to the water in the Dead Sea? It doesn't go anywhere. It simply evaporates. It ascends again into the heavens, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything about that and so much more that I've failed to remember pictures Jesus. That's what's being pictured on the eastern border of Benjamin. Judah to the south or right hand signifies Jesus is the praise of God, the right hand, the praise of God. Joseph, Ephraim to the left indicates the work accomplished by Christ. Joseph, he shall add and take away is what his name means. He is the one to add people to God's flock, having taken away their reproach. Ephraim, twice fruitful, ashes. He is twice fruitful in the land of his affliction, prevailing over the law and thus becoming the savior of Jew and Gentile. But his work also means that sin was judged in him thus the ashes, signifying his afflictions. Dan, the judge to the west, signifies Christ's role after his ascension. He is the judge of mankind. The descriptions provided here in chapter 18 follow closely after some of the descriptions seen earlier in the borders of Judah and Joseph, meaning Ephraim. Thus, there is some fun repetition from those chapters. Verse 11 began the description of the northern border. It speaks of the work of Christ in his incarnation. First, it used the unusual word vayaal, or and ascended, concerning the lot. That anticipates the resurrection of Christ leading to his ascension. Jesus is the son of the right hand of God after his ascension, as it says in Acts 7. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, all seen in the borders of Benjamin, the right hand of God. Verse 11 continued with the lot having come out between Judah and Joseph. That was just explained in detail. Christ is the praise of God who accomplished the work of God. Verse 12 showed that the border of Benjamin began on the north from the Jordan River and on the shoulder of Jericho. Christ's work began at his incarnation, his descent from heaven. Verse 12 continued with the border ascending in the mountain westward. The mountain signifies a large but centralized group of people. Jesus was raised in and among Israel. He never failed to continue on his trek toward the Lord. In verse 13, he went through Israel. Think of Israel when I give you these names. Beit Aven, house of wickedness. How many times are they called that in the Old Testament? And Lutz, turning aside from the Lord, even though they were considered the house of God. Bethel, the land and people among whom the Lord resided. The trek descended to Atarot Adar, majestic crowns, near the hill on the south side of lower Beit Haron, lower house of freedom. It speaks of the work of Christ his death, from which his many crowns are derived, and the effect of his work, bringing freedom from death. Verse 14 began the west side. It speaks of the effects of the work of Christ. First, it mentioned the movement of the border to the hill that lies before Beit Haron, the house of freedom, and ending at Kiriath Baal, city of the Lord, also known as Kiriath Jerim. From the house of freedom, victory over death, it speaks of those who are a part of the city of the Lord, which is the city of forests. In Joshua 15, that was seen to represent the gathering of the church. Next, verse 15 began the details of the southern border, the state of those redeemed by Christ. It goes from Kiriath Jerim, the gathering of the church, to the waters of Nephtoah. As in chapter 15, the fountain of Nephtoah anticipates eternal access into glory, symbolized by the gates that are never shut in the new Jerusalem. That's Revelation 21, verse 25. Verse 16 refers to the mountain that lies before the valley of the son of Hinnom, the exaltation of the son of groaning. It speaks of the centralized gathering of people who stand before the Lord Jesus and who are exalted from this fallen state. Because of the effect of his work, they are brought from a state of groaning. Here's what it says in Romans 8. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, 
but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body, the exaltation of the sons of groaning. But more, that was said to be in Emek Rephaim, or in the depth of the healed ones, an obvious reference to the state of believers in Jesus Christ. Verse 16 next referred to the Jebusite treading down and the descent to Enrogel, the fountain of the fuller. Jebus is derived from bus, to tread down or trample. This is expressed in Psalm 60. Give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. Through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down, bus, our enemies. It speaks of the completed work of Christ on behalf of his people, defeating their enemies, which leads to the fountain of the fuller, a reference to the eternally purified garments, such as those mentioned in Revelation 3, verse 5. That's why the fountain of the fuller is there, to show the garments that had been cleansed by Christ. After that, verse 17, next mentioned, and Shemesh, fountain of the sun. That speaks of the eternal light of Christ, Mentioned, for example, in Malachi 4, verse 2, which shines upon his people, and thus the eternal flowing of light where there will be no night. That is Revelation 22, verse 5. From there, the border extends toward Gelilot. It is a plural word signifying rollings. It refers to the state of liberty of Christ's redeemed. They have the yoke of sin and the law rolled off of them. Verse 17 continues by noting the ascent of Adumim, or ascent of the red ones, meaning men. It is the heavenly promise noted many times in Scripture, such as Ephesians 2, verse 6, where believers are said to be raised up and seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This was followed by the descent to the stone of Bohan, meaning thumb, son of Reuben, meaning see a son. Stone signifies establishment, as in setting up a pillar. It signifies permanence. That which is established is set to stand firm. It signifies resiliency and strength, as in that which is fixed and unyielding. The thumb represents the hand and thus action. It is that which has the ability to grasp firmly. The whole thought anticipates the eternal security of the believer. Anybody that thinks that they can lose their salvation does not understand the complexity of the doctrine of eternal salvation, which is actually explained in the Old Testament many, many times. Adding in the name Reuben would anticipate the sonship of those who are in Jesus Christ. As Paul says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That's Galatians 3.26. Verse 18 notes passing toward the shoulder against the Arava northward and the descending to the Arava. The Arava refers to, as we have seen in innumerable sermons, the pledge of the Holy Spirit and the final granting of what the pledge signifies, meaning eternal life in the presence of God, such as, here we go, now he who establishes us with you in Christ has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the spirits in our hearts as a Aravon, coming from the word Arav, Greek Arabon, pledge. It's a very unusual word in the Bible where it is used in the Old Testament Hebrew and it carries into the New Testament Greek. Very rare to happen and God is telling us a story. If you want to know where that originated, go back and watch the uh, sermon on Genesis 38 where Judah sleeps with his daughter Tamar. It's the first time that's mentioned. It mentions that three times and this word is mentioned only three times in the New Testament. And What's that? Daughter-in-law, well, daughter, yeah, daughter-in-law Tamar. Anyway, so three times in that passage, three times in the New Testament, always speaking of the pledge of the Holy Spirit. The one I just read you is from 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. It's also found in 2 Corinthians 5, 5 and Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. All of that points to the completed work of Christ for us. That leads to the next point, where the border passed to the north side of Beit Hogla, or House of Turning in Joy. That is an obvious and beautiful description of the eternal state of those redeemed by Jesus Christ. The southern border is said in verse 19 to end at the tongue of the Salt Sea northward. It is a reminder of what brought about all of this marvelous state for the believers in the first place. 
the salt sea speaks of the incorruptible death of Jesus Christ, the incorruptible nature of the new covenant in Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. With that, verse 20 states that the Jordan was Benjamin's border on the east side. It takes the reader full circle back to where it started with the incarnation of Jesus Christ, his descent, being east or Kadem before it is both a note of eternality of Christ as well as the beginning of his earthly life to accomplish his work. With that, the final words are, this inheritance, sons Benjamin, son of the right hand, to her borders around to their families. It speaks of the sonship of Jesus Christ. Galatians 3, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. After that, the second section of the passage detailed the listings of the cities of Benjamin. It is certain, and as can almost be deduced by a short glance through them, that each city name attests to something concerning the work of Christ. As for the inheritance itself, the wisdom of God is attested to both in the fulfillment of prophecy already stated and in the historical record that will arise from the placement of Benjamin here. What I just said to you, you may not understand, but I am not going to give you an evaluation of the cities of Benjamin. I've given you all the information you need. If you want to do an evaluation, please go ahead. It took me hours to determine all the names of those places. So please go ahead and do an evaluation. I'm not going to do that because the day was already 10 or 11 hours of sermon typing and I had more to do. So I apologize about that, but you get the entire point of what's going on with Christ in relation to us with the borders, the cities will tell their own story. And if you just look at them, you can get information from them. Just take a gander through them and say, how does this point to Christ? And you will see it developing into a beautiful picture. I'll let you do that. Benjamin will play an important role in Israel's future. Some of it will be a bit sordid. Some of it will be exalting of them. But the story of Benjamin is ultimately and most prominently that of typological anticipations of the coming Redeemer, Jesus. After his coming, he will again use Benjamin in a magnificent way when he selects the Apostle Paul to pen much of the New Testament. And yet, despite the high and noble position, it will be one that is derived solely from the grace and mercy of God. Paul was an enemy of Jesus Christ fighting with him with all of his ability. But in the midst of his breathing out threats and murder against the Lord's people, the Lord personally intervened into his life. And because this is so, Paul had no standing in and of himself to boast. And this is true with each one of us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's no merit in any of us concerning salvation. Rather, we were on the path to destruction, and Christ stepped in. This is the story of the inheritance of Benjamin. God has done the work, and we are the benefactors of the life, cross, death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. What can we add to that? The answer is nothing. We come to God through Jesus as poor, condemned prisoners and accept the pardon that Jesus bought for us with his own precious blood. Let us remember this as we head out today. The same type of people that we once were are out on the streets that we are going to walk. They are in the same sad state we were in. Have pity mixed with compassion on them. Open your mouth and speak. Pull out the tracks you carry and leave them with those you encounter. Tell about the goodness of God in Jesus Christ. The son of the right hand is the son who first came to bring us back to himself so that we too could become sons of God. All hail the name of Jesus. He is our Lord. He is our God. He is the exalted one who now sits with all authority and power. All hail the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. What a wonderful story. I'm telling you, you wait. Next week, you're going to see how this is revealed in the borders of Simeon. And you're gonna say, I see how that fits together. And then, I shouldn't say unfortunately, but we have to wait a week and we'll have another one. Zebulun, the borders of Zebulun. And you are going to see how this and this 
point to this. It is the most marvelous story, and it is all right there. It's been there all of these thousands of years waiting for people to pick up the Bible and say, what is this telling us? It's the most wonderful book. I, every, every time, every, we start in Genesis 1-1, and we're still going in Joshua, and it never gets old. It just keeps telling us marvelous things about Jesus. We took a diversion to Ruth. We took a diversion to Jonah. We took a diversion to Esther. And it continues to talk about Jesus. It just keeps giving us these wonderful stories of what God is doing in redemptive history. I don't know if you remember, but I was going through the uh, the uh, Esther sermons again. My friend did a, uh, he took these sermons and did them for his church over in uh, uh, Texas. And I had actually forgotten how intricate the book of Esther is. It gives you all seven dispensations of time in the story, and it tells you how Christ is going to unfold all of history right there in Esther. Everything about this book is marvelous. Everything. And people just, what did we read last week? Do I still have that? Give me a second. I read that again, just in case somebody didn't hear that. This was so good, I have to read it one more time. A sad choice. Now, this is for older people. Obviously, we don't have the same war, but you'll get the point. On the table, side by side, a holy Bible and the TV guide. One is well-worn but cherished with pride. No, not the Bible. It's the TV guide. One is used daily to help folks decide. No, it's not the Bible. It's the TV guide. As pages are turned, what shall we see? Oh, what does it matter? Turn on the TV. So they open the book in which they confide. No, not the Bible. It's the TV guide. The word of God is seldom read, maybe a verse, ere they fall into bed, exhausted and sleepy and tired as can be, not from reading the Bible, but watching TV. So then back to the table, side by side, is the Holy Bible and the TV guide. No time for prayer, no time for the word. The plan of salvation is seldom heard. Forgiveness of sin so full and free is found in the Bible, not on TV. Read your Bible. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Read your Bible. The two things that I would hope that you would carry with you. All the doctrine, there are things I tell you, please don't get sucked into law observance. Don't get sucked into people telling you that you have to observe on a Saturday or that you have to tithe or any of those crazy things. That's not what the Bible is about. The Bible is about the freedom that God gave us in Jesus Christ by redeeming us from those things. Please, please pay attention to what it's telling you. Grace. The Bible ends on grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Revelation 22, verse 21. Grace. And all God asks us to do is to believe. He says, I sent my son into the world to redeem you. And I expect you to do this and this and this and this and this out of the law that he fulfilled. No, He sent his son into the world to die for your sins, to be buried, and to rise again, proving that he is God and proving that your sins are still in the grave because if your sins stuck to him, he'd still be in the grave. The greatest message in all of the world is Jesus Christ. And if you believe that gospel, that's what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, Christ died for your sins, Christ was buried, Christ rose again. If you believe that, you will be saved. And you will be sealed with the Holy Spirit, the guarantee of your future redemption. Please believe that simple message. This is what all the Bible is about, is Jesus. Our closing verse comes from Psalm 48. We have thought, O God, on your loving kindness in the midst of your temple. According to your name, O God, so is your praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. What a wonderful story God has given us. Next week, Joshua 19, 1 through 9. We know you will just love this sermon. It's entitled The Inheritance of Simeon. That'll be our 38th Joshua sermon. Hey, man, that was a tough one to get a rhyme, so I had to fudge it. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It is he who has defeated the enemy and who now offers his people rest. So follow him and trust him, and he will do marvelous things for you and through you, okay? Now, I've got a question for you, and if you get this, you get a special treat today. Somebody online, he attends online, I can't give his name, but I can say Tom, because there's 8 billion Toms in the world. 
Tom got these, and I promised that I would hand out this one today. So if you get the question, you'll get this. This is hillbilly squirrel stew. Now more dumplings, okay? Uh, it's got sweet taters and greens, and it says squirrel and dumpling stew is a delicious way to enjoy those pesky tree rats with entire family. A genuine southern tradition using grandma's recipes, jointed squirrel, gluten-free, and free-range. There you go. Obviously, this is a joke gift. This goes on your shelf, so people ask about it. But there's not real squirrel in here. But if you get the question, you get this. Isaiah says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings what? Not children. Good news. I'm going to let you have that. Glad tidings of good things. That's good enough. He does bring joy. He brings us. You get hillbilly squirrel stew for dinner. Oh, we're so envious. There you go. Glad tidings of good things. That's close enough. You got that in, in the New Testament. Paul cites that. What's that? My translation. Yeah, and that's what you get for opening your mouth anyways. You get squirrel stew for dinner. Anyway, I love this. I laughed when I opened these. Uh, next week, I'll let you decide next week. You can have either cream possum and sweet potatoes garnished with coon fat and gravy or roadkill skunk a la king. So we'll see which one somebody picks next week. All right. Usually we give out something better, but hey, I, I, when I say better, I don't mean better in the sense that it's more intrinsically valuable. It's something more useful. But there you go. All right. Whatever people send, that's what I hand out. Okay, we got a poem and we'll take the Lord's Supper, The Inheritance of Benjamin. Now think of what you just heard as I'm reading these. Now the lot of the tribe of the children of Benjamin came up according to their families, show enough. And the territory of their lot came out between the children of Judah and the children of Joseph. Their border on the north side began at the Jordan, and the border went up to the side of Jericho on the north as intended, and went up through the mountains westward at the wilderness of Beit Aven, it ended. The border went over from there toward Lutz, to the side of Lutz, which is Bethel, southward, as is now known, and the border descended to Atarot Adar, near the hill that lies on the south side of lower Beit Horon. Then the border extended around the west side to the south, from the hill that lies before Beit Horon southward, so the border was applied. Then it ended at Kiriath Baal, which is Kiriath Jerim, a city of the children of Judah. This was the west side. The south side began at the end of Kiriath Jerim, and the border extended on the west, and went out to the spring of the waters of Nephtoah, where swimming is the best. Then the border came down to the end of the mountain that before the valley of the son of Hinnom lies, which is in the valley of the Rephaim on the north, descended to the valley of Hinnom, as the map did apprise. To the south side of the Jebusite city on the south, as the record does tell, and descended to En-Rogel. And it went around from the north, went out to En-Shemesh, and extended toward Gelilot, as intended, which is before the ascent of Adumim, and to the stone of Bohan, the son of Reuben, it descended. Then along the, toward the north side of Aravah, it passed, and went down to Aravah at last. And the border passed along to the north side of Beit Hoglah. Then the border ended at the north bay at the Salt Sea. At the south end of the Jordan, this was the southern boundary. The Jordan was its border on the east side. This was the inheritance of the children of Benjamin, as the records show. According to the boundaries all around, according to their families, as we now know. Now, the cities of the tribe of the children of Benjamin, according to their families, were, as the records tell, Jericho, Bet Hoglah, Emekaziz, Bet Aravah, Zemaraim, and Bethel. Avim, Para, Ofra, Hefar, Ha, Amoni, Ofni, and Gaba also, twelve cities with their villages, as the records show. Gibeon, Ramah, Be'erot, Mizpah, Heferah, Mozah. Rechem, Erpeel, Taralah, Zelah, and Eleph as well. Jebus, which is Jerusalem, Gibeoth, and Kiriath, 14 cities with their villages, as the records tell. This was the inheritance of the children of Benjamin, as listed and for us to know, according to their families, so the records show. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you 
to us your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the story of Benjamin. The borders, the life of the person, the things he did, the people who came from him, every single one of those things is telling us about the coming of Jesus, selected by you to show us these pictures, these typological hints of the glory to come, and how we participate in that because of what he has done. Thank you. Thank you for Jesus who has made it possible. Help us to live for him all our days and to honor and glorify you through obedience to your word, as Paul reveals in the New Testament, as James and John and Jude and the other authors of the New Testament reveal. Help us to appreciate these things because they speak of freedom from the law and glory in your presence for all eternity. Thank you, O God, for Jesus Christ our Lord who has done these things. Amen.